the cosmic void. Onward it stretches into infinity, matched in depth and vastness by but one thing, the human imagination. We present now a story from this, the greater of two endless realms. Join us as we enter a gate beyond. Happy St. Patrick's Day from A Gate Beyond, as this week we present the tale of an Irish hitman seeking revenge against his former employer. This is entitled, A Score to Settle, by Danny Atwell. Part 1, Project Cuhulin. Thunder cracked overhead as Declan woke up in a cold sweat. He breathed heavily as though he had just run a marathon and looked down onto his sweat-soaked rough bed. Declan Forster sat up onto his tattered and torn knees and peered out his window as he heard the tap of rain hitting the metallic roof above the small squat his landlord's called apartment. It was a shithole, he thought. The rhythmic taps became a torrent as another crack of thunder followed after a flash of lightning. He mustered whatever strength he had left to get up out of bed. He was stark naked, but Declan didn't care as it was so damn hot outside. Global warming apparently had arrived in Dublin. He walked to the sink in his bathroom and turned on the water, trying to cover as much of his head as possible to cool down. When he was thoroughly soaked, he looked at himself in the mirror for what seemed like forever. What was his life now? What was he doing here? What was going to happen to him? Nothing but questions seemed to flood his mind after the dream that he'd just had. Swirls of images from things that had happened, places he had been, people he once knew, and the foregone conclusion that something new was on the horizon. The old saying went that he was somewhere between a memory and a dream. It unnerved him. He finally closed his eyes and let out a burdened sigh and walked back toward his bed, looking out the window. Summertime in Dublin, he said to himself. Piercing the calm of the morning, a sudden hail of gunfire ripped through the window and door of his modest flat. Declan dove to the wooden floor as glass and ceramic shattered and cascaded all around him. He crawled under his bed, grabbed his Glock pistol and Uzi stacked there, and proceeded once more to cover his head as more shrapnel and debris flung around. Luckily, none of the bullets were meeting their mark, but the cuts from the glass were pissing him off. As his rage built, Declan waited for the inevitable, feeling vibrations in the floorboards underneath him. The bastards are coming to see if they finish the job, Declan whispered in quiet anger. The door burst open. Declan aimed his Uzi and let off a burst of bullets, instantly killing the men behind it. Another group of men entered from behind the first and were also decimated from below as Declan scooted across the floor. The glass shards on the floor tore into his flesh more, but he was determined to get the hell out of there. The last thing he wanted was to be caught by the police. Sadly, it looked like they were already going to be an issue much quicker than he thought as he heard the familiar sirens. 
He didn't have much time, as he got to his drawer and pulled some underwear out. By the time he was able to put them on, he felt more vibrations from beneath. He sat up and pointed the guns at the door once more, only to see Dublin's finest finally show up. Freeze! Drop your guns and put your hands up! Declan was outgunned at this time, and he knew that his time was up. He dropped his guns and raised his hands. The police, fully aware of the carnage around them, barged in and cuffed him. Can I get some feckin' clothes on first, or do you like me white Irish arse that much? Declan asked sarcastically. An hour later, Declan sat in a secluded police interrogation room in downtown Dublin. There were windows to the outside, but they were barred, and there was a two-way mirror looking into the room. His hands were still cuffed from behind as he sat in the chair. At least it's air-conditioned, he thought as he waited for whoever was going to conduct this bad boy to come in. After what seemed like forever, but in reality was only 20 minutes, a police officer in a lavender suit and tie walked into the room. Carried on his person was a manila folder and a cup of coffee. His hair was dark and slicked back, and a small hoop earring pierced his right ear. He put both down on the table and looked at Declan. If I take this off you, are you going to try something? Depends. Are you going to dress me up in a suit like that? I'm being serious, Mr. Forrester. As am I. You look like a mobster Easter bunny. Hmm, I guess I'll keep them on. He then sat down across from him. Declan was nonplussed. He'd been in these situations before. The idea was to never give them enough information to hang you, but enough that they would still be thoroughly intrigued. It would act as a defensive tool in any interrogation or deal in the future. Declan Christopher Matthew Forster, born August 9th, 1980, in Kells, Ireland, to Father Hamish, no, Hamish Forster from Cardigan, Wales, UK. Here. Mother, Margaret Winifred Forrester, maiden name Kilpatrick. What's your name? Declan interrupted. What? The officer asked. You have the pleasure to know my name. I only want the favor returned. Or would you rather I just called you Easter Bunny? Declan asked. I'm Inspector James Ward. Anyway, let's go to the chase, Mr. Forrester. You're a wanted man. Indeed I am. I'm pretty popular with the ladies, but what does the Garda Shohana want with little old me? The inspector looked down at his note. You've been busy. We have evidence to put you away for a long time. You work for the Aeneal family taking out its people. Do you now? We do. Fella, you don't have shite on me. In fact, I think you don't have enough evidence to convict me of anything but over-drinking. Want to hear theory? Sure, Mr. Forrester. Enlighten me. Declan leaned forward. I think you're trying to get me to slip up and give you something to give you a promotion. I ain't biting, arsehole. I want my lawyer. The inspector laughed. <laughs> lawyer. That's a good one. Considering your lawyer is affiliated with the Uniles and they just tried to kill you, I think it'd be beneficial to you to spill the beans. You admit to being a hitman for the Uniel family? Declan remained silent. The inspector seemed frustrated. He pulled a bunch of photos out of the manila folder and placed picture after picture in front of Declan. All these deaths you caused, Boyle. All these people you sent to their graves. Do you have proof? Declan asked. The inspector swallowed hard. Don't play games with me, boy. You did this. Declan started to laugh. As I thought, you got nothing on me. You want to make something stick. What about the people trying to kill you? You obviously killed four men this morning. 
I could put you away for the rest of your life, boyo. Inspector got up from his seat and started pacing. Those fellows you gunned down trying to protect yourself were O'Neill operatives. You know that, don't you? He did know. It's what unnerved him the most. He remained silent. The inspector continued his grilling. Now, why would they be trying to get rid of their bust assassin? Declan sighed in frustration. For the last time, I am not an assassin. The inspector started mocking Declan. Oh, yeah, that's right. You dispense justice. And what if I don't? Are you going to take care of me like you killed these others? Another police officer, one who seemed to actually look the part better than Inspector Ward, walked into the interrogation room. He carried the demeanor of someone of higher rank. Stop your questioning, Inspector. This man is free to go. Inspector Ward looked up in disbelief. But Superintendent Blaine, we've got him where we want him. The superintendent laughed. Ward, I said that he is free to go. Or do you want to be put on report? The superintendent came over to Declan and uncuffed him from the chair. He stood up and started to walk out of the room, but the superintendent stopped him. But before you go, I need to speak with you before you leave, Mr. Forster. Declan looked confused. Why? You said I was free to go. The superintendent nodded his head. You will be. I just want to talk to you briefly, okay? Declan accepted his terms, left the room, and proceeded to follow the superintendent to his office as he closed the door. It was actually much nicer than he thought it would be, as there was a good amount of outside light shining in. Even though it was rainy outside, he didn't need a desk light to illuminate anything. Please, Mr. Forster, have a seat. May I call you Declan? He sat down at his desk and looked at Declan. I don't see any harm in that. Declan sat down warily. The superintendent sighed. I am Superintendent Daniel Blaine, and I really had to pull some hefty strings to get the judge to look at your case early, especially to get you let go. Even though those fecks that tried to kill you are dead by self-defense, the fact that you used an Uzi to do it was what hung him up originally the most. It's not like America where you have the right to bear arms, Declan, and you know that. The superintendent said quietly. My thanks, Declan said softly. Don't thank me yet, Boyo. You've gone from the frying pan and into the fire. The O'Neills want you dead. Both sides of them. I don't know how or why, but it's the information we got. None of them think that they can trust you. Each thinks that you're working for the other side. Then who brokered my release? I did. Only because their lawyer is on his way down here to retrieve you, only so he can kill you elsewhere. As you know, there's a rift between members of the family. Do I? I have no idea what you're talking about. Don't be daft, Declan. You can get most of this information in the streets. We have operatives too, you know. Anyway, Willie O'Neill killed his father John. Those still loyal to him want Willie dead. That's the sole reason why you're still alive and why I'm releasing you. You said in a previous arrest that you dispense justice against those that are deemed unworthy of it. Then I offer you a significant deal. One from Ireland herself. Declan stayed interested, wondering when the shoe would drop. I'm listening. The true Garda Shohana wants you to be our dispenser of justice. Declan laughed to himself. This is a cod. You're pulling my leg. A serious look stayed plastered on Superintendent Blaine's face. Declan realized he was dead serious. Wait a second. You want me to hunt down the O'Neills? What? Make me a guard or something? They were like my family. The superintendent looked at him gravely. And look what they do to their family. Willie turned on his father because either someone found out something about him or John to warrant that worry. We need to find out what. You cannot be known to work for us. 
You have to go on doing what you are doing, but instead of being paid by the O'Neills, you're doing your country's work. You're marking me for the ERU. They'll mark me for death for breaking the code, you know that. The superintendent put up his hands in an exaggerated shrug. What are you right now? The code was broken when Willie O'Neill started waging war against his own family. There is no code anymore. He knows nothing of honor, or dignity, or respect. As for the ERU, it's even more secretive than that. There's a project that's been on our books for a short bit of time, but it will get both of us what we need. Jesus! I've gone in the head even thinking about this proposal! Declan crossed himself in the mention of his lord. Declan stared into space for what seemed like a long time. The superintendent looked at him curiously. I am not fibbing you if that's what you're thinking. Declan looked at the superintendent. I do things my way, or do I have to follow another bollocks code? The superintendent put a packet of things on his desk. I'll give you special papers and a badge. No guard, inspector, or otherwise will arrest you if you show these. Do this your way. Declan looked over the packet carefully before opening it. Etched in black ink on the top of the packet were two words, Project Kuhulan. He opened the packet and saw what was inside. Inspecting the contents carefully, he turned his attention back to Superintendent Blaine. Who do you work for? No one. Not even a superintendent has this kind of clout. Not especially over the entirety of Ireland. Our benefactors will reveal themselves over time, but now is not the time. Do we have a deal, Mr. Forster? Declan sighed as he stood up from the chair. <sighs> can I get my guns back? The superintendent nodded. Aye. You can go now. Also, Declan, be wide. Declan nodded. I will be the epitome of careful, superintendent. Thirty minutes later, Declan walked out of the police station and made his way to a local pub. He walked in and saw that there was hardly anyone present, which was good for his social anxiety. He hated being in crowded areas for too long. He walked in and looked at the bartender. Point to the black stuff, please. The man went and poured him a glass of Guinness as Declan put four euros on the bar counter. The bartender took the money and gave no change. Declan pulled out the papers from his pocket as well as the badge. They looked official, all with the seals of the Republic on them. The badge had a number on it, 2230, as well as the name Project Kuhulan. Declan had a laugh. The bartender came over to him, still wiping down some glasses. It was so funny. Declan put away the badge and papers as if it were an afterthought. He looked at the bartender as if he were about to answer, and a violent vision intruded into his head. The bartender was holding a shotgun and screaming at the top of his lungs, saying something that he couldn't understand. Declan looked at him strangely, but then shook it off and sipped his Guinness. He then glanced back at the bartender. I woke up this morning, after a morning nip, after a piss-up, and the guards came to get me. I was there for a while, and now I just want to relax a bit. So you had a good time last night, was it at the pub? No, I was out doing some business on the other side of the city. Oh. The bartender seemed to be going back to cleaning, but instead went under his bar and grabbed the shotgun. But as he rose, Declan already had his Glock pistol aimed at him. I knew I recognized you. The O'Neills send their regards. Wasn't that what you were going to say to me? The bartender was flabbergasted at the revelation. Huh? How'd you know? Declan grinned. Come on, Fahey, don't do something stupid and actually think for once. Now, if you don't want a bullet in your head, you'd better do some talking. What do you know? 
The bartender started to sweat profusely. Senor, the guards found you, Forrester. Willie O'Neill has a hefty price on your head. No shade, Sherlock. How much? The talk is of, is of a million. A million euros. Declan grinned in sarcasm. Wow. For that much, I might turn myself in. The bartender sounded cocky. If you do, you wouldn't be a false shilling. They want you dead or alive, but mostly dead. Why am I not surprised? So what are you going to do, fella? You're going to shoot me with that shotgun? Get the reward money for yourself? If you did, you would be as daft as you look. The bartender slowly lowered the gun to the bar and raised his hands into the air. Declan grinned. Good. I want you to do me a grand favor, eh? I promise not to leave your boozer and flitters if you give the O'Neills, both sides, a message for me. You tell them that unless they want a holy show of power that I can seriously deliver, they should leave me the hell alone. If not, I want to make sure that they and all they associate with goes up in flames. Got it? The bartender swallowed. You know they won't do that. Declan took two steps back toward the door. You better pray to the Virgin Mother that they do, or else no one is safe, not even a lowly feckin' bartender. Declan swiftly walked out the door. The bartender shook his head and picked up the telephone and began dialing numbers. Hi, it's me, Ronnie Fahey. That bastard Forrester came out of the guard station and came here. He wanted me to deliver a message. outside. Declan looked around puzzled at what had just occurred. He sat down on the bench and started to think. Lo and behold, another vision came. Declan saw an old man being hit by a delivery truck. He looked to be somewhat feeble in his walking and it might have been an accidental. Declan tried to shake it out of his head. He stood up and his heart jumped into his chest. He saw the very same man that was in his vision and to his right he saw the same truck coming down the street. The man was walking with a cane, and Declan's eyes drew closer to him. The man's cane had gotten caught on something, causing him to stumble. The truck driver didn't have time to react, and sadly neither did Declan, who watched helplessly as the old man was barreled over by the car. The driver swerved slightly and quickly got out of his delivery truck. Mother of God, I saw the whole thing! What the hell is going on? Declan said before he vomited his black beer all upon the ground. The rain began to fall once more as Declan fled the scene. He finally stopped in front of Christ Church Cathedral and entered. He shakily dipped his fingers into the holy water, crossed himself nervously, and sat down in the nearest pew. He felt that a church was probably the most safe. Not even the O'Neills would hunt him here, one code that Willie O'Neill still kept or who would never have been able to do business in Ireland proper. This was something he was not prepared for. He knelt down as if to pray and closed his eyes. He felt a wave of visions once more come to him like a whirlwind. Visions of a bleeding puddle of human mass under his fists. 
the feeling that he just couldn't take it anymore, and whoever was beneath him had to be stopped. He felt raw emotion through the vision, as though the floodgates opened with the first swing of his fist, punching again and again and again and again. The mass of flesh beneath him, whom he didn't recognize, spat up several teeth and gurgled in horror. He thought to himself, I was his nightmare. I was his reckoning. I was his judge and his jury. Do I end up being his executioner? All he did, what I did wouldn't solve and fix that. Then why? Then Declan put the pieces together as he whispered. This has to be Willie O'Neill. There was no justice. His Moonian power seemed to get him out of everything. There was no mercy for those he screwed up royally. There was nothing but tears and regret. But he picked the wrong enemy. Who am I to do this? Who appointed me? Almighty God? The guard of Shohana? He thought audibly. Declan sat back and started rocking back and forth in a state that he had never been in before. He was always the calm one, cool and especially collected. He continued whispering to himself, I was the only one who heard. I was the only one who had a voice. And in the dark night where this madman would sit and howl from the moon like a wolf, I made sure I was his hunter. I made sure that the howling stopped. I was here. No one else was. Was I an instrument for divine intervention or retribution? I hope so. This... This scum of the earth has done much worse, and I worked with him for so long. Is this my right of redemption in the eyes of those who deemed me worthy to stop him? I wasn't the instrument of his damnation, that's for sure. He saw another vision of a woman with red hair in a field walking next to him, tears in her eyes. She kept pleading with him, Declan, please, don't go, you'll get yourself killed. Who is this woman, Declan thought to himself. Another voice cut through and broke him out of his trance. Excuse me, fella. Aren't you a bit arseways, aren't you? Declan looked at him curiously. An older man, not unlike the one that got hit by the delivery truck, sat down and looked back at him curiously. Hmm. Bird troubles, eh? No, no girl troubles, sir. I wish my problems were that simple. He realized the old man was a priest as he took off his wet coat. Now tell me, my son. What's the matter? Declan stared down away at the priest as if he were from outer space. I wish to take a confession, but only with you. If it'll help, my son, I will. I'm Father Lonergan. Declan looked at him in a funny way as if he'd told him a joke. Really now? Father Lonergan grinned. <laughs> a quiet man. I get that a lot. I guess maybe the writer might have mirrored the priest for me. I've been around a long time. Declan sat in the confessional booth and once more seemed to stare off into space. He sighed heavily. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Father Lonergan asked. How long has it been since your last confession, son? Ten years. Father Lonergan's eyes widened. Wow. That's a long time, my boy. I feel that I can't tell you what's been bothering me. The many sins that I've committed. Declan started. I have killed 25 men in my lifetime, Father, and not all of them in self-defense. I was a hitman for the O'Neill family. Father was intrigued and partly terrified. Please, continue. Well, that family now has split in two and is fighting a civil war within itself. I am stuck in the middle of both sides. Willie O'Neill wants me dead. 
most of the famed Garda Shohana is in his pocket. One, however, seemed to separate me from the other elements and has given me a most solemn task. Father Lonergan replied, What task might this be? I must eliminate the reach of the O'Neill family. I have a score to settle with Willie O'Neill. That is dangerous work, even for someone with your previous credentials. But that's not the whole of it, Father. Declan took a deep breath. I have been starting to see things. Bad things. Premonitions of things that happen before they happen. Do you mean like a psychic? More like, uh, precognition. Like minutes or even seconds before something bad happens. I saw the bartender trying to gun me down. I saw an old man get hit by a delivery truck. I was powerless to do anything about the old man, but it made the bartender think twice. Well, sounds to me like God has given you a choice. A weapon to stop the O'Neills or a blessing to help people instead of harming them. Maybe. But no, the visions are getting worse. Later, at a rundown motel, Declan had explained the other visions that he'd seen previously in the sanctuary to the priest. Father Lonergan replied that he thought that perhaps they were of things to come. Declan agreed as the priest gave him his penance for his crimes against God. There was no way he could go back to his hovel, so he had to stay at a rundown motel. He didn't have much cash left, and he was worried that the O'Neills would try to tap his funds if he tried to withdraw any money. He needed to make sure that he didn't stay in the same place, or at least in the same radar, as Willie O'Neill. He sat down on the rickety, uncomfortable bed and pulled out his guns. Am I going insane? He thought, as a knock came at the door. Declan looked at the door and grabbed his Glock and walked to it. Who is it? Declan asked before looking at the peephole in the door. I need to speak to you. A female voice came from behind it. He looked in the peephole to see a woman with her hair covered by a shawl and wearing sunglasses. She obviously was trying to be incognito. Why do you need to speak to me? Whatever you're trying to sell me, I'm not interested. Get lost, lady. Project Kahulin. The woman said bluntly. He stopped as he heard the name on his badge that he still carried in his pocket. He quickly opened the door and looked at the woman as she swiftly walked into the room. You'd better make whatever you have to say quick, because I'm already having a very bad day. The woman took off the wrapping from her hair and her sunglasses. To Declan's shock, she looked just like the woman in his vision. She glanced at him curiously. <laughs> well, um, it's not usually the reaction I get from men the first time they see me. My name is Deirdre Tannen. Declan sat down on the bed. This is just getting better and better. Thank you for joining us for this episode of A Gate Beyond. Join us again in two weeks for more tales of the unusual and otherworldly, gathered from the farthest reaches of the human imagination. Until then, always go beyond. Music provided in the episode, The Blood of Kukulin, by Michael, Dana, and Jeff Dana. The Warrior's Code, by the Dropkick Murphys. 
Stuck in a moment by you two, and raised by wolves by you two. Guest readers Danny Atwell and Emily McAnulty. Produced and edited by Danny Atwell. Agape Beyond is a production of Dark Charm Media. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved.